0: Randy Pitchford's $12 million magic trick, A Lawyer's View. Hello and welcome to Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're getting back to our regularly scheduled programming. If you only listen to Virtual Legality in podcast form, you probably didn't see that at the end of last week, I think it was Thursday, we wound up doing a long-form video presentation on a very important legal matter in the United States, uh, which was whether or not the Easy Allies had welched on some of their bets regarding the Electronic Entertainment Expo in Los Angeles. I didn't make that a podcast because it has a lot of visual elements and cards that are involved with that. Please do check it out if you're at all interested. It's called The Case Against Kyle Bossman and Michael Huber, E3 2019. If you are new to this channel, because we did get a lot of subscribers from that video, this is how we usually do things here. We talk about business and law of video games and information technology. And that's what we're going to do in today's episode, as you probably saw from the title, if you click through to this video or this podcast. About four or five days ago, an article went up that I actually commented on for Game Daily Biz that talked about the latest turn in the Gearbox case. Uh, If you're not familiar with what's been happening at Gearbox, Gearbox is involved in a lot of lawsuits, so I don't blame you. But their old general counsel, their old lawyer, the lawyer that headed their legal department for Gearbox, wound up suing Gearbox and wound up suing Randy Pitchford, uh, the president and CEO of Gearbox, in his individual capacity as a person for a lot of different things. But one of them involved stealing, diverting funds. And last week, he filed an amended petition, which is a document that amends his complaint that makes clear things that were being argued against them uh, by the defense, by Gearbox and by Mr. Pitchford. And in that document, he's a lot clearer as to what he is asserting happened with respect to, in particular, $12 million that were to be paid by 2K as publisher of Borderlands to Gearbox. And the fact that those $12 million dollars were instead what he calls diverted or siphoned or other negative language, which we're gonna discuss in terms of legality here on this episode, that that funding was diverted to a company wholly owned by Randy Pitchford. It's a magic company, or it's Pitchford Entertainment and Magic, I think. And so I was asked by uh, reporter Mike Futter in Game Daily Biz to take a look at this, it's about 78 pages long, and give a few comments as to what I was seeing in the amended complaint. And one of the things I really like about virtual legality, I like about having this YouTube channel, these episodes, is the ability for me to clarify and to expound upon the comments that I give uh, to reporters in these articles. And this particular article I am commenting on in this episode because it went a little bit uh, bigger than I had anticipated. I got a lot of references from a lot of uh, video game folks. I got a lot of references from a number of kind of general media Uh, Groups and and a number of additional questions, uh, most of which I didn't comment on further. uh, But I think it's useful to have these conversations in a kind of more long-form process. I will try to keep this to my new uh, standard of trying to get these things to close to a half hour to allow you all uh, to enjoy them but to do other things with your day. Uh, But these things get complicated. So if we go a little bit over on this episode, I apologize in advance. So let's take a look at the issue. The article is, Former Gearbox employee provides proof Randy Pitchford Diverted Funds to Personal Company. And again, it's an article from Game Daily Biz. It's from Mike Futter. I will link it in the description to this video. And all of that in the headline is true. Diverted funds is perhaps a little bit negative connotation for what's actually happening here. Uh, But certainly what we're going to see and what we're going to describe as to what's occurring could be deemed as shady, could be deemed as unethical. I'm not so sure it's illegal necessarily. But it certainly should give future partners, future employees of Gearbox and Mr. Pitchford pause and reason to consider the relationships that they're entering into with him. So it continues by saying new documents in the suit filed by Wade Callender, former Gearbox corporate counsel against Randy Pitchford back up a claim that Pitchford diverted studio money to a personal company. In late 2018, Pitchford sued Calendar over a series of financial matters that included allegations that Calendar misused company credit cards for personal expenses and destroyed evidence related to a home loan funded by the studio. Callender countersued a month later, which is that's what this complaint is about. In December of 2018, presenting a salacious account of a USB drive full of pornography and sensitive corporate documents left by Pitchford at a Medieval Times restaurant, among many other things. But that's certainly the thing that grabbed the most headlines. One of the many allegations included in the suit indicates that Pitchford siphoned $12 million in Borderlands bonuses intended for the studio. At the time this came to light in January 2019, Gearbox vehemently denied the entirety of Calendar's accusations by saying... The allegations made by a disgruntled former employee are absurd with no basis in reality or law, the studio told Kotaku. We look forward to addressing this meritless lawsuit in court and have no further comment at this time. On June 12, 2019, Calendar's attorneys submitted a new 76-page filing that includes an amendment to the Borderlands 3 contract between Gearbox and 2K, originally dated November 29, 2016, that references the $12 million dollars plus another $3 million for the remaining Gearbox co-founder and chief financial officer, Stephen Ball. This contract amendment includes a clause titled Bonus for Satisfaction of Dedicated Executive Requirement. And this clause states that the developer is eligible for a recoupable $15 million bonus. In other words, upon satisfaction of the terms, publisher 2K Games would pay out $15 million to Gearbox, split into three payments. These are funds earned by Pitchford and Ball in their roles as Gearbox employees. 2K Games very much wanted Pitchford and Ball involved in the project, and the clause ties the $15 million to three key development milestones. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but the way this is framed, the language of the term, is built to be a bonus for Pitchford and Ball working on Borderlands. And this is of particular interest for Gearbox, if you're familiar with the Gearbox studio history at all, because they had gotten into previous lawsuits previous legal kerfuffles uh, with Sega in respect of Aliens, Colonel Marines, and the fact that they may or may not have stolen money to use on their own projects, including Borderlands, that was paid to them by Sega. Uh, And so when you see these provisions in this agreement, yes, it's clearly meant to uh, convince Pitchford and Ball to work on the game series because they have to work for 30 hours on the game series per week in order to earn this bonus. Uh, But it is also in the context of a history of Gearbox potentially using money not quite the way the publishers would have liked to have it used. And so the publishers are trying to control when they make these advances, when they make these bonuses, and when they make these payments, what happens with them inside the four walls of the company. So that's not really unusual. If I'm counsel for 2K, I'm looking at this and saying, yes, we need to have very specific requirements, restrictions, contractual provisions on when we hand over $15 million dollars, why? Why did we hand it over? What happens with it? Uh, and that's only one piece of the puzzle. That's the only piece that's part of this lawsuit because the entire contract is not pertinent to what Mr. Calendar is alleging against Gearbox and Pitchford. In Calendar's original complaint, he alleged this misappropriation of funds. In his most recent amended petition, he and his attorneys have provided both the original contract clause, an amendment to the bonus for satisfaction of dedicated executive retirement uh, requirement clause. We're going to take a look at that as well in a little bit, uh, because what he's actually pointing out here is there is a specific contract between 2K and Gearbox, where Gearbox tells 2K to pay the $12 million that's associated with Randy Pitchford directly to Randy Pitchford's company. And as we see in this article, as we see in the contract, or we will see in the contract in just a moment, the amount is recoupable, which in this parlance means that it's effectively in advance. Uh, Once the game has been sold, gearbox will owe uh, royalties or, or more specifically 2k will owe royalties to gearbox uh, in order to uh, have paid them for the development of what they're selling so 2k goes out there with borderlands borderlands is owned by gearbox 2k owes a royalty for using the intellectual property of gearbox but they're allowed to net against that royalty that they owe to gearbox amounts that they've already paid recoupable amounts that they've already paid as advances so this 15 million dollars they've paid to gearbox without all the extras here They've paid to Gearbox to say, okay, when you guys earn that first $15 million in royalties that we owe to you, we don't have to pay you because we already paid you. It's an advance. We don't have to pay you. And so by having that money diverted to Randy Pitchford's personal company, it starts to look a little shady. It starts to look a little bit questionable because that amount is going to come directly out of the royalties that 2K is going to pay to Gearbox after Borderlands release. Continuing on with the article. While we now have proof that the funds were originally intended to be paid to Gearbox and have since been diverted to Pitchford's company, there are factors that we still don't fully understand. Pitchford is a 50% owner of Gearbox Software LLC and has 51% operational control with Ball controlling the rest. According to attorney Richard Hogue of the Hogue law firm, the ownership situation could confound the matter. If the royalty were just owed to Gearbox on the whole and then Randy diverted it, it would look very much like stealing, Hogue told Game Daily via email. As an officer or director, you owe a duty to protect the assets of the company. That's usually divided into a duty of loyalty and a duty of care. Here, the duty of loyalty is very much implicated, as one could argue, as they are in fact arguing, that Randy took a business opportunity directly out of the hands of the company he owes this duty towards. If you have followed me on Easy Allies and Help Us Out, Hogue, if you have followed Virtual Legality, you recognize this paragraph because we're talking about fiduciary duties. Randy Pitchford is a fiduciary of the company that he doesn't fully control. He owes fiduciary duties to other people that have an interest in the company. In this case, however, it's a very limited group of people. The law generally is only recognizing as folks that have a direct interest in the company, the other members, the other equity holders in the company's interest. So when we talk about what fiduciary duties he holds, at this point, it's really only to Stephen Ball. And what Calendar is, is he's an employee. He has a different relationship to the company. So when we look at his case in just a minute, we'll see, yes, he can claim certain fiduciary duty breaches, but they mostly relate to ancillary companies. You'll see that Calendar and Pitchford were involved in a real estate issue. They were involved in some other things that don't directly relate to Gearbox because Calendar didn't have an equity interest, even though Pitchford apparently, according to Calendar, promised him that he would get certain equity interests in Gearbox and certainly a profits interest, an interest in the bonuses that are applicable to all employees of the company in a specific way. And that's really the basis on which Calendar has wound up suing uh, Mr. Pitchford and Gearbox is on the fact that by moving this $12 million out of the company, that Calendar was denied the right to his percentage portion of those funds. But it really isn't that easy. And I continue by being quoted in this Game Daily Biz article as follows. It was likely Randy negotiating the agreement directly. It was Randy Pitchford probably negotiating across the table from another person at 2K. So that brings up its own concerns, especially if the plan was always for Randy to receive this $12 million. Stopping for just a second, we understand those concerns, right? He is in operational control of the company, he is a board of directors member, he is an equity holder in the company, and he's negotiating for this situation that will give him some nice rights to potentially move this money for himself outside of the company even if we take everything aside and say that that's fully legal the fact that he's the one negotiating the contract becomes a problem and we'll see in texas where gearbox has been organized that the limited liability company act actually talks about what is an interested party transaction and that's a transaction where uh, the managing members of an LLC have an interest on both sides of the ledger. And that's going to be particularly the case in terms of the contract that asks, where Gearbox asks 2K to move the money from Gearbox to Randy Pitchford's magic company. Continuing on with my quote in the article, in fact, if he weren't in functional control of the company, I wouldn't doubt that if such a provision were in an agreement of this type, that he could go to his board and CEO and say, I deserve a portion or perhaps even all of such bonus amount. The issue is that he is in control of the company, and I'm not sure they went through the proper corporate processes to cleanse any such decision to divert the funds to his magic company. Now here I'm going to back up a step because ordinarily you would have the ability, and we're going to see it in the Texas Act, to say, okay, board members that aren't me, that aren't interested in this contract, can you please approve the contract? And if you do, we're mostly going to comply with Texas law or Delaware law or wherever you might be incorporated or organized. Or if that fails, if every director is interested, as is the case here, because Ball and Pitchford both have an interest in the bonus, then we need to go get the membership to approve it. But again, we have the same problem because as as far as it appears, Pitchford and Ball are the only owners of this company. So yes, they can approve it under the law, but it still winds up looking pretty shady. So when I talk about here about cleansing, that's all well and good. But in a company this closely held, you can get into these situations where, yes, you followed the letter of the law. Yes, you might even be legal. Yes, you might win your claim in court on these points. In fact, I think he's got a pretty strong case to do it just solely based on the language in the Texas Act. That doesn't mean that it's ethical. It doesn't mean that it's not shady. And it doesn't mean that they can't try to get you on a kind of breach of contract claim, which we'll also see in the case in question. And then I go on to finish this off by saying such a cleansing action, approval by the board or the members of the company, would ordinarily take place through the approval of disinterested directors or stockholders. In other words, if the folks that are not directly benefiting from the contract or payment approve of it, generally the law is going to be okay with it. It is the kind of thing a general counsel would recommend, which I added, of course, because Calendar was the general counsel. He's not available to recommend such a thing at this point. So it's questionable whether that kind of cleansing action was taken. And then it's also questionable whether that kind of cleansing action will be given full authority under the law if, in fact, everybody that's interested in the transaction, in the bonus, are on both sides anyway. They're all the managers that are getting the bonus. It's all the members that are getting the bonus. And that becomes its own kind of problem. And when I talk about it being all the directors and all the members, I looked at the public information report for the franchise tax filings of Gearbox Software LLC in Texas, which I've pulled up for you right now. And here we can see it's President Randall Pitchford, it's Secretary Stephen Ball. Those are the two officers that are named here in this report. And then as directors of the company, it's Randy Pitchford and Stephen Ball again. So those are the only names that appear on the report. I'm not a Texas lawyer. There could be other individuals that have officer roles, that have director roles, that have an equity interest in the company that aren't referenced here. I tend to doubt it because it looks like this is supposed to be a pretty fulsome description of who is interested in the company at the management level. Uh, But if that is in fact not the case and there are other members sneaking around or other directors that aren't listed here, that could make things a little bit easier to interpret, a little bit easier to see whether the proper cleansing actions uh, were taken. But let's take a look at the actual case here because I do think there's some interesting stuff and we can talk about how these things tend to look. We can talk about what this actually is as a document because I think that's interesting as well. So we see here it's listed as plaintiff's third amended petition. And what we've got here is we've got a very one-sided document. This is not a judicial finding. This is not even a jury determination. This is early, early, early in a litigation and it's one side telling the court just how mean the other side is. In this case, it's Calendar and his interests and his counsel talking to the court about why they should be invested in protecting him against the evil machinations of Randy Pitchford. And so one of the things when I was commenting on this uh, in email form uh, to uh, the reporter, Mr. Futter, on uh, his article is I pointed out that the, the early stages of this document are very much the kind of name calling stages for litigation. We see the very first sentence of this is Randy Pitchford is a manipulative, morally bankrupt narcissist who is determined to exploit his oldest friend, a Texas attorney and military veteran named Wade Callender. Military veteran thrown in for no reason, other than the fact to try to establish in terms of the court's subconscious, the court's mind, that Mr. Callender is a good person and Mr. Pitchford is a bad person. And you might say to yourself, is that really effective? The answer is in terms of law, in terms of the actual reasoning behind the decision, no. But in terms of advocacy for your client, it's one way to try to convince the court to th- see things in your way when things otherwise are ambiguous or potentially look tied or equal uh, or could have two different interpretations of that, of that same value set. So you spend pages and pages and pages here using very specific wording. Pitchford's siphoning of at least $12 million, his infamous USB drive, uh, things of that nature. People are growing wise to Randy Pitchford's shtick. This isn't the language that I tend to like to see in these types of things. It is the kind of language that a lot of litigators use. Uh, and as they say, everything's bigger in Texas. So it's really no surprise that a claim looks like this uh, from one party to the other. It is the kind of thing that can sometimes get you an admonition from the from the judge if he feels that you went too far or if she feels that you went too far. Uh, but... All that being said, uh, it's really nothing for a long period of time in this document. We've got a lot of that name-calling. We've got a lot of the representations of who people are. And we've got a lot of things like he's a military veteran. They were friends for 40 years, Judge. This is a bad person who did bad things to my client, Mr. Calendar. And you should be of that mindset while you're interpreting these facts that I'm about to present to you. Of import for us, uh, we get to uh, page 7 here. Uh, And we see that uh, in 2015, Mr. Calendar helped Mr. Pitchford kind of consolidate his power in Gearbox. So it says, Calendar's efforts garnered Pitchford 51% operational authority over Gearbox's day-to-day studio operations. It's not great legal language for fully interpreting what that means, but we can interpret it to mean he's got 51% of the voting rights over the day-to-day operations. He may or may not have that same level of control over major things like selling the company, but at least for day-to-day operations, he has functional control over whatever it does. And that would include things like entering into a contract with 2K to fund their latest project, in this case, Borderlands 3. Then we get to what is known as the cabinet. This is the important part of how Calendar is portraying $12 million to matter to him personally and not just to gearbox. If you've seen any of these uh, litigation documents before, if you've heard the term before, we talk a lot about derivative actions in corporate law. And that's the right of somebody that's interested on behalf of a corporation, suing as the corporation against its management, because otherwise management controls the corporation, or in this case, an LLC, and won't sue for something that management itself did wrong. So the court... So the law allows you to sue on behalf of the company, but that's a little bit of a harder road to hold and it doesn't necessarily win you, the individual, much in damages. So one of the things that Calendar wants to establish here is, yeah, he stole $12 million in his parlance, but not only did he do that, it hurt me individually. It didn't just hurt Gearbox. And that's what he tries to establish here By establishing that he was a part of this inner circle of officers of the company, he was general counsel, and they referred to these seven executives as the cabinet. And in the cabinet pact, which was the name of the contract, apparently, that they entered into in respect of what the cabinet duties were to be and how they were going to get paid, he was to get what they call 1% additional cabinet profit shares, and those were to be shares in the net profits of the company. I think it's important that we pause there because when we talk about net profits, the concept there in most documents, and we don't get the whole picture, so this is all my understanding and my experience in working with contracts like these. But when we talk about net profits, we're talking about an amount of money that the company receives that is netted against certain expenses. In general, all operational expenses, which would be be inclusive of things like employee salaries. So you want to put a pin in that one because employee salaries are going to include amounts of money that are owed to Pitchford and Ball. And so when we talk about net profits, it's always something to be concerned by. I've represented companies when they negotiate documents like this. I've also represented executives and consultants when they negotiate documents like this. And the definition of what profits are, what revenues are, what gross revenues are, what net revenues are all of those things that go into those calculations, they are some of the most important pieces of language that you actually negotiate in your contract. So without seeing how net profits is defined, and it's not defined for us in this complaint, it becomes a little bit ambiguous for our interpretations. But we can assume that net means netted against some expense. And in all likelihood, it means expenses for actually operating the company, which could be inclusive of both uh, Pitchford and Ball's uh, salary as well as certain specific bonuses tied to, in particular, contracts that they might negotiate with publishers that specifically name them as earning specific bonuses. So that's where things get start to get a little bit confused and start to get a little bit looking like this is, as you would expect, a very one-sided portrayal of the events because that's what this is supposed to be. This is supposed to be a document where Calendar presents his concept of events, and ideally, if you're his counsel, tries to make it look as bad as possible for the other side, which he does. Going forward a little bit more, we see what the actual bonus document looks like when we get to page 17. Before we get there, you see a lot of coverage of Randy Pitchford as a bad person. You see a lot of paragraphs of, oh, this USB drive that was contained company confidential materials and other more illicit matters. Uh, was left in a medieval times, and look how uh, careless he is. Look how bad of a person he is. Look what abuse he put on people on Twitter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Again, all in the hopes of setting in the judge's mind that Randy Pitchford is a bad person. But let's take a look at the actual section of the contract that was unredacted for our use to look at in the complaint. Developer shall be eligible for a 15 million US dollars recoupable bonus. To be paid in three increments of five million dollars each with each such increment bonus payable solely in the event that the following conditions are met publishers approval of a specific milestone of tech feasibility alpha and uh, release to gold milestones randy pitchford and stephen ball have devoted their development team leadership direction production design and other related project benefiting activities and attentions or publisher directed marketing related activities and attentions towards the development and success of the borderland sequel and shall strive to dedicate as much available time capability and mindshare towards Borderland SQL as possible, and no less than a minimum of 30 hours per week. And developers shall have complied with the requirements of the exclusive development efforts provisions, which we don't see defined in this contract provision, but we can assume means you're not working on something else. Again, I believe, directed at the fact that Gearbox does have, at least in the public eye, a history of perhaps absconding with certain monies that were paid by one publisher for the benefit of a different publisher. And so if all those things are met, then what 2K owes Gearbox is a bonus. It's something that wouldn't be earned if these things didn't happen. And given the fact that the technical milestones are all things that would be necessary to make the game in any event. Those aren't really that important for determining whether this bonus would be paid. What is important for determining whether this bonus would be paid is whether Pitchford and Ball devoted 30 hours per week working on Borderlands. And in fact, when we when we look at the next sentence of this provision, it's very specifically written to tie it to Pitchford and Ball. It says the total $15 U.S. million bonus shall be divided as $12 million for the services of Randy Pitchford and $3 million for the services of Stephen Ball. In other words, this provision is very clear in tying the fact that the company is receiving $15 million solely for the purposes of compensating Gearbox, yes, but really Pitchford and Ball for the services that Pitchford and Ball performed. So if Pitchford and Ball have a provision in their contracts, for instance, their employment contracts with the company, that says, hey, if there's ever a publisher that pays us money, And they pay us money with a specific condition that I have to work on their stuff. Then I get all of that money or I get a portion of that money. And we see that in contracts like this. This is not unique to Gearbox or 2K necessarily. We see it a lot in contracts where the publisher is worried about what will happen at the company level. And they really want to make sure somebody specific is working on their project. And in this case, this is written to ensure that Pitchford and Ball are actually working on the Borderlands project. Now, you might say to yourself, well, I don't care whether Pitchford or Ball works on Borderlands. They're not the creative geniuses behind the series. I don't know that any better than you likely do, But I think we can envision a provision like this a little bit easier if we do think about some of those people that I think the public sees as those kind of uh, wonder child uh, developers. If you can think of Sony entering into a contract to fund Death Stranding and saying, we'll pay this bonus as long as you can promise that you personally, Hideo Kojima, will work on this thing for 30 hours a week and not give it to your peons and go off to Bali or wherever then you will earn this bonus. I think we can all understand kind of intuitively that Sony would have a vested interest in making sure that the money did go to the company only if Hideo Kojima actually worked on Death Stranding and not if somebody else that he found worked on it. And so depending on who you're talking about, I think this makes a lot more sense. And I think some of the reactions people have given to this provision are really reactions to the fact that they don't like Randy Pitchford and they don't like uh, him in particular and don't see him as a terribly useful creative force at Gearbox. That might be right That might be wrong, but it doesn't necessarily mean that a provision like this is completely untowards, completely unexpected in the marketplace. And so I don't think we can dismiss it out of hand. When we look a little bit further, then we tie that $12 million to this next contract that is a contract, is a letter actually from Gearbox to 2K that says, references made to that provision, Gearbox hereby requests and irrevocably authorizes, 2K to pay to Pitchford Entertainment, Media, and Magic any bonus payment that comes up under that section. That $12 million when it's earned, when those three payments are made of $4 million each, those can be made directly to the Magic company and they don't have to be made to Gearbox. The issue, of course, is that they are recoupable bonuses, which means that if they work for this thing on 30-hour basis, if they make Borderlands possible, they earn this bonus, they get this $12 million, and it's paid out to the Magic Company, then when 2K goes out to sell Borderlands and royalties start accruing on their sales, then that $12 million, or in this case $15 million, presuming that they wind up paying Ball as well, doesn't get given to the company because it's going to be netted against what they've already paid to this Magic Company. The question then becomes, what would have happened to the $12 million if none of this happened? If it didn't go to the Magic Company and it just went to Gearbox? My best bet is that Randy Pitchford has a contract that says exactly what I said earlier in this video, that if a bonus is specifically tied to his efforts, then he gets that bonus. And so it would have gone to him in any event. The fact that it's going to him directly uh, through this process could have tax advantages, could have other structural advantages that we just don't know of because we don't know of his situation. And that... In that scenario, yes, it looks shady. Yes, if you've got a profit share with the company, maybe you look at it askance and say, hey, I don't really like the way this guy is doing business, but is it illegal? I'm not so sure. And that's why when we get to the counts that are at the bottom of this uh, the bottom of this complaint, we see not necessarily a breach of fiduciary duty at the gearbox level, although he does claim breaches of fiduciary duty at these, these other entities uh, of which Calendar was to be a part, But instead, we see uh, a breach of contract claims, breach of cabinet pact by Gearbox and Pitchford. They say Pitchford's siphoning of at least $12 million caused Calendar to not be paid the correct amount owed pursuant to the cabinet pact. But again, when I'm looking at this as a corporate attorney, the thing that they didn't do, they didn't tie the wires together on this, is what is a net profits for purposes of the cabinet pact? And could the $12 million be construed as net profits for that purpose? That's a viable important question to answer when we're analyzing this from a legal perspective. And I'm not telling anybody to think Randy Pitchford's a great guy or to think that he's a a terrible person. I think that's really up to you. We're talking about the legal matter here. And I don't feel that Calendar's counsel did the job of establishing that this $12 million was completely off market, was completely off the board, even though at first glance, It does look like something negative. That's a typical technique when you're talking about litigation is to portray something that might be neutral or might be, I'd say, innocent, but innocent in the law rather than innocent in reality uh, and portray it as something bad. That's why you spend 20 pages establishing that this is the type of guy that puts porn on a USB and leaves it at a medieval times, that this is the type of guy that betrays his friend of 40 years, that this is the type of guy that the judge should view every ambiguity against. Because quite frankly, when we get to the claims here, we don't really fully establish a legal problem. And that's the same at the very end here, where we have them trying to pierce the corporate veil, try to get to Pitchford's money at the Magic Company, and also claiming a just general tortious interference with contract claim, which doesn't make a lot of sense if you wind up reading this, but is basically trying to say that by moving the $12 million, that the $12 million induced Gearbox to breach its contract with calendar. It's a kind of derivative action by way of a direct action. I'm not a Texas attorney. I don't know how much water this holds. It certainly doesn't read as something that's terribly compelling for me, uh, but that doesn't mean that it can't work out in court. And that's one of the reasons why settlements happen so often is because you do have that gray area in which we just don't know what'll happen. Finally, I just wanted to take you through a little bit of the Texas statutes this is the 2017 Business Organizations Code, which is the most recent version that I could find. I believe Texas updates its codes in one fell swoop on various years. So you can see a 2017 Texas statute, you can see a 2015, 2005, et cetera, et cetera. But here are the Business Organization Codes for Limited Liability Companies. And here I just wanted to highlight what I was talking about for cleansing actions. So we scroll down a little bit and we finally get to, we scroll down a lot, laws are long. Section 101.255, contracts or transactions involving interested governing persons or officers. This section applies to a contract or transaction between a limited liability company and one or more governing persons or officers, or one or more affiliates or associates of one or more governing persons or officers of the company, or, and this is important to us, an entity or other organization in which one or more governing persons or one or more affiliates of those persons is a managerial officer or has a financial interest. In other words, that contract between essentially Gearbox and Randy Pitchford Magic, even though it's a letter agreement between Gearbox and 2K, there is an understanding between Gearbox and Randy Pitchford Magic, because that's an interested party transaction. Gearbox is essentially saying, here's $12 million, Pitchford Magic, that that's an interested party transaction. And then this piece of law, this says an otherwise valid and enforceable contract will be valid and enforceable notwithstanding a problematic interested party uh, relationship, if one of the following conditions is satisfied. Of course, the implication being it won't necessarily be valid if one of these conditions is not satisfied. And we see here the material facts as to the relationship described, the fact that Pitchford owns all of Pitchford magic, is described to and known by the people at the company that are pertinent to this, this question. And it's approved by a majority of disinterested governing persons, which unfortunately don't really exist here. You could argue that Ball isn't really interested, but the fact that he's receiving a part of the bonus under the contract probably does make him interested in this transaction. That would be an interesting question. But assuming for purposes of this discussion that Ball is an interested party, you can't really do that provision. Or if it's approved by the members of the company uh, voting as members which doesn't require you to be disinterested. It's just all the members of the company have to approve it. And so if the members approve the transaction, and here the members are only Pitchford and Ball, if they approve that, then it's done. You can't make that contract void or voidable solely by reason of the fact that there's an interested party on the other end. Which is a long way of saying, look, if Randy Pitchford didn't control the company, and this is what I was saying in the Game Daily Biz article, if he didn't control the company, if he was just... A high-level employee at the company, if he was Hideo Kojima at Konami, and he goes in and he says, look, I feel like I do good work for the Borderlands series. Here's what I want. I want 100% of any bonus that is directly attributable to my efforts. If 2K puts in their contract that the company earns $15 million because I worked on the darn thing, then I get that money because it wouldn't exist if I didn't work on the darn thing. If he were in that position, I don't really think there's cause for argument here. And if as a secondary transaction there, that $12 million that he was otherwise owed under his perfectly valid CEO president agreement is instead sent over to Pitchford Magic, I don't really think there's a problem there. Again, when we talk about the profit sharing component of the calendar compact, the cabinet pact, then... What we're really talking about is what the net profits are. And if those net profits are netted against the expenses ordinarily paid to employees under their contracts, then I really don't think this is a contract claim. It is, by the way, a claim that I would make if I were in calendar shoes. I think it's one that looks bad enough that you toss the dice and you see what the court does with it. And certainly if I'm a business partner or considering being a business partner with Gearbox or Randy Pitchford, I look at this and say, Okay. So you pay, you play fast and loose with what net profits are, with what net revenues are. So if I'm going to enter into a contract on a profit sharing basis with you, I'm going to have to really lawyer up. I'm going to really have to define those terms very carefully to try to tighten those loopholes that you seem very fond of driving your truck through. But that doesn't mean that when you drove the truck through the loophole in the first instance, that you were illegal. It just means that you were not not so terribly good a guy and not so great a friend. And that is a bad thing. It's not somebody I would like to hang out with, but it's not necessarily illegal. So at the end of the day, yes, maybe it was unethical. Maybe Randy Pitchford is a bad person, and maybe he didn't go through the proper corporate acts to actually get this thing approved, to get it cleansed, even at the membership level, which would have just required the approval of Ball and Pitchford working together. Maybe he didn't go through those steps, and maybe there's a claim here. But on an initial pass, I think... It's a lot more complicated than a lot of the headlines reveal, and certainly a lot of the headline videos that I've seen myself quoted in across the internet. And so I put this virtual legality out there to try to clarify things a little bit, to try to show that things are a little bit more complicated than they might otherwise seem as things so often are in virtual legality, and to just kind of clarify those things just a little bit. One last note on this particular episode of Virtual Legality, unfortunately, that case uh, that I was reading to you, uh, I can't find on the internet. I actually have a copy because it was presented to me to comment on, uh, but I can't link a description uh, in this video because I don't have one to give. So if you see that, please let me know. I'm happy to add it to the description of this video. Uh, But otherwise, that won't be a part of the sourcing for this video because, quite simply, I just don't have anywhere uh, to show it. Otherwise, this has been virtual legality for today. Uh, I do have a note from a personal standpoint. I'm on a number of business trips for the next couple weeks, so I may or may not be getting some virtual legalities up in that time frame. I may or may not be getting some postmortems and some impressions up of some pop culture items as well. I'll be taking my mic with me, but I just frankly don't know how often I will get to it. So if you're new to the channel, generally speaking, we have one or two or even three videos a week. Uh, That might be a little bit lighter until maybe the middle of July. Uh, But if it isn't, hopefully I can get some uh, good news and some virtual legalities up there in the interim from points unknown. Otherwise, if you caught this video on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. Please share it around. Please review it on whatever service you're listening to it on or watching it on. I very much appreciate it. And that does help the engagement on this channel and help get conversations going in the comments. Otherwise, I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.